0: We're gonna be jumping into Acts chapter 11. And let me just tell you, as you're turning there, um, I've really enjoyed the book of Acts. And one of the reasons I've liked it is because there's a few things that really make my heart burn when I see it in the Word. there's, There's some phrases that just literally when I read them and I think about them and I study them, it, it deeply moves me. One of those phrases that's in the Bible is this phrase "That's says, for his namesake. I don't know if y'all have seen that, but it happens all over the place in the Bible where he's constantly saying, for my name's sake, I did it. For my namesake, I did it. I, I just think about that, about how, how awesome and amazing and powerful God is, how good his news is of the gospel, how life-changing it is, and and all I could think is, no, he really is worthy, he he really is worthy of praise. When he says, for my name's sake, his name really is worthy of praise and honor and worship, it it really is, and as I get moved by God and his his glory and his good news, then, then that for his name's sake turns into something else for me, it turns into the same thing that happens to me when I eat an awesome slice of pizza. I, I want to share it with someone. I want someone to be there with me and taste the goodness of that awesome pizza. It, it's, it's the reason I don't want to go to Disney World by myself. Uh, do you want to go to Disney World by yourself? That. Okay, that's a little weird. You wanna take people with you. You don't wanna ride a ride by yourself. I want my kids to go with me at Disney because I want them to see how awesome Space Mountain is. I don't wanna ride it by myself. It's not as much fun. It is a million times more enjoyable when I can tell you how awesome Space Mountain is and I can sit you next to me or in front of me, however that works, and watch my kid lose his ever-living mind on Space Mountain. That's a whole lot more fun than writing it by myself. When we talk about God and for his namesake and his glory, the thing that it should automatically move us towards is other people got to know this. The other people have to taste it. And, and that's what I believe the mission of the church is. That's, that's the mission that God gave us, that every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity over and over and over again to clearly hear and understand and then have a chance to respond to his good news. That, that's why this church exists, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether we're engaged in that mission or not. That is God's mission. He wants everyone in Tallahassee to know the gospel. He wants every people from every tribe and nation and language in every corner of the world to get a chance to engage his gospel. But if we're honest... Engaging that mission, it sounds good, but if you actually engage it, it feels a little tricky, doesn't it? Maybe a little scary, it, it might, it just might get a little uncomfortable for all of us, and and that's what's happening in the book of Acts. Last week, we were in Acts chapter 10, and this church that's exploding, that God is working in, that there's a gospel movement in, that's spreading all over Israel, there's this moment where that mission of taking it to everyone, not just Jews, not just the people they're comfortable with, not just their culture, taking this good news to everyone, God is not going to let that church sit there and wait on it. He is Pushing them forward. And so you see Peter, right? You remember the story? He he goes to this guy named Cornelius, who's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. Big no no. And he shares the gospel with Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. They're speaking in tongues, like, let's baptize these dudes. So they're baptizing everyone. And Peter stays there for a couple days, many days is what it says, uh, to kind of get them up and running. Uh, and know more of the word. So that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 11. And read with me Acts chapter 11. We'll look at the first three verses. Verse 1 says this. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, that's all the main part of Israel there, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Let me just hit pause. So they hear, they hear about Peter. It gets spreading like, well, there's no cell phones, there's no Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, no webpage, no YouTube. It's just straight word of mouth. Like It is spreading like wildfire through the early church that all of a sudden the gospel's gone to the Gentiles. Now, how do you think the early church should respond to that awesome news? Uh, It it should be awesome, right? It should be like, this is amazing. Like like God has taken the gospel to people we never thought would be accepted in the family. Cornelius got saved. This is radical, you guys. It's going to people we didn't know we could take the gospel to. But that's not how this early church responds. It's shocking how quickly a church can become slow and solidified in the mission of Jesus. It doesn't take long. Look at what happens in verse two. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. The, the circumcision, these are the people that are in that, in that church that are hold very strongly to the Jewish traditions. They're followers of Jesus, but listen, they, they don't really want it to change much of their culture. They love the temple. They love all the laws. That's most of the church. And this news reaches Jerusalem before Peter is even able to get there. And they're already mad at Peter. Now listen, let me put this in perspective. There's, Peter's reputation cannot protect him from this criticism. At the beginning of chapter 10 or at the end of chapter 9, we, we kind of skimmed over. Let me tell you what Peter has done. The, the days going up to him going to Cornelius, he's gone to one town and healed a dude. He's gone to another town and raised a woman back from the dead. And I need you to think about what he's just done in one week's time. In one week's time, he goes to a village, heal, 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 boom, sharing the gospel, things are great. Goes to another village. Oh, she died. I think her name was Dorcas, uh, which is a, no joke there. Okay, we I can move on. He goes to Dorcas, and he raises her back from the dead, you guys. And listen, this news is spreading all over, and then on the heels of this powerful act of God is Peter, hesitantly going and sharing the gospel with Gentiles and people don't care that he can go into a village and heal a ton of people. They don't care that he walked with Jesus for three years. They don't care that he brought someone back from the dead. They're freaked out that he took the gospel to a Gentile. Listen, when the core of our comfort gets rattled, criticism will come and the question is not, is God in this? The question they're asking is, does this make me comfortable? So the criticism comes to Peter. And here's their criticism, verse 3. You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? You had a meal with these dudes? That's the concern. I need you to think about this. You you sat down with people who eat bacon on a regular basis. Shock, awe, horror. that's the and I'm making fun of it. It it is a big deal to them, right? Like, I need you to understand that this has been a massive thing for Israel. Let me review some of Israel's history so you can understand why this is a big deal. I'm I'm cracking jokes because it seems silly because we're 2,000 years removed, but for them, this is almost borderline heresy, and here's why. Uh, God gives Israel these laws to make them his people. That's Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, he gave them these laws to make them his unique and distinct people. How they're supposed to dress, how they're supposed to eat, how they're supposed to bathe, who they're supposed to hang out with. And he constantly says, I want you to be my people and I want you to be separate from all the people that worship idols and do all sorts of filthy things. That's not my people. My people don't worship idols, my people worship me. My people aren't immoral, they're pure. My, My people are holy. They live as if God is really in their presence. And that changes everything about them. And Israel did great for a while, kind of. But but eventually as they get into the land, they see all these people with them who are worshiping idols and doing all sorts of things. And they they start to like it. So Israel begins to bring this idolatry into their worship. They, They begin to walk away from God. They're merging idolatry in the worship of God. And they become... Uh, get further and further away from God. They become immoral and filthy so that by the end of the book of Judges, they are just as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. They're that filthy and it's real quick. And then what happens? God starts sending prophets over and over and over again saying, hey, stop it. Come back to me. Get away from the idols. Uh, like be, be my people. Be holy. Be pure. Be loving. Be just. Be just. Be merciful. Don't do this. And Israel says no. And then Israel gets conquered and sent out into exile. And while they're in exile, they have more prophets saying, come back to God. And so they do. And that's how the nation of Israel survived. They they huddle up and they protect themselves from the idolatry of the nations around them. And they get really strict and really stringent about it. There's no room for wiggle room. We don't talk to Gentiles. We don't get in a room with them. We, if we go to the market and touch them, we go home and wash it off and pray the God of forgiveness for touching a Gentile. Like we got to be true to God so you stay far, far away. So for literally hundreds of years, this has been ingrained in the people of Israel. You don't touch them. You're not like them. They will make you turn away from God You always stay away from the unholy Gentiles. We are God's special people. They they took the truth of God and they added more to it. They added more things to it because they they were afraid they couldn't stay holy. And it's weaved into everything about them as a people. And all of their family, all of their holidays, all of their rituals, all of their behavior, the days of, we, of the week that they work and the days they take off, the way they cook their meals, everything about all of their life is weaved with this purity to stay away from the sinful Gentiles. And then Peter goes into one of their homes. It's not just that they're a little strict. He is literally going against God. Hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition. And and they're freaked out about it. They're they're asking questions. Okay, okay, wait, Peter, like God's been really clear about not eating pork. Did you eat pork when you were there? Like we got all sorts of questions. Like you're going against all of our traditions. What's it going to do for our mission to the Jews? I mean, they're God's special people. They're not going to want to hear this message if they all of a sudden see that you look like you're rejecting God completely. Man, it, it's an intense moment for them. So, so how, how should Peter respond to this? Well, hold on, before I get there, let me just highlight this. Church, I want you to hear this. I, I think the reality is, is that if you go, if, when the church of Israel goes after the Gentiles, it is deeply uncomfortable for them. And I think it's true for us as well. I think if we choose to engage the mission, I, I, need, I, need, I want every one of us to hear this. If we as people who grew up in the church, we've learned how to be good Baptist boys and girls. It, we've learned how to be really clean and really good and really churchy. I believe that if we go to engage the mission that God gave us, and let's just look at the mission to reach every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee. I'm not even going to get what that looks like for reaching Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and places that freak us out. Let me, let me go with the easy one, our own culture. I believe that if we go to engage that mission, I believe that you and I are going to have to work through a lot of discomfort. I mean, a lot of discomfort. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, when I look around at churches, I get really frustrated, not just in Tallahassee, but honestly all over the U.S. I, I believe that churches have this strategy to reach people that some of it's good, but, but it all looks the same. I don't know if you've noticed that. Here's how we reach people. We do VBS. We do upward sports. We do a Bethmore simulcast, right? Um, I'm not saying these things are all bad. I, I'm just saying this is our strategy. And let me tell you who we're going after. I, I'll just be really honest. We are going after churchy people. Our game plan is how many people can I get into this building, into these seats, and hopefully they meet the senior pastor and they like him, and if they like him and he's the professional, he delivers the good message, that's our strategy. And here's what we're going after: we're just straight going after church people. The, the reality is, church people go to churches. Church people, for the most part, put their kids in VBS. Church people want to go to upward basketball because it's a clean and safe environment for their kids. Like, like that's that's a church people thing. And I'm not saying those are bad. I'm just saying church after church after church after church. We're all going after the same people in the same way. And the reality is, if we start saying, okay, what if we decided to go after the people that every other church in town is afraid to go after? I mean, what if we said that the people we want to reach is every prostitute in Tallahassee? What if we said we want every person that struggles with addiction? You nervous yet? What, what, what if we said, "Listen, we want to go after every single person that struggles with gender identity or homosexuality. We want to go after every single one of them. We want all of them to have a clear presentation of the gospel that they can understand and wrestle with. That's true to the word, but we we want them to be able to hear it. And we're going to figure out how to take it to them. What if, what, what if we were a church that just said?" Listen, we want every agnostic and atheist to have repeated opportunities to honestly wrestle with the gospel. What would that look like here? I'm going to be honest with you. It feels uncomfortable to me already because here's what that starts to look like. Can I be real? You're in your small group and, and, and already, I just said small group and half of you said, I'm out. <laughs> you want me to be in a living room with other people in this church sharing a meal. It's too much, I can't handle it. I don't want them to know me. I mean, we already struggle with that. Can we be honest about that? Like literally there's sweat dripping when some of you think, Okay, who's coming to my house and who's sitting at my dinner table? And will my kids act appropriate? And the answer is no, your kids won't. Like, I'm just telling, well, mine won't. We'll work on it. Uh, you have to discipline your kids. I mean, it's just, everything's about it awkward. But, but what happens when it's not a bunch of church people sitting around the table? What happens if you're a small group, all of a sudden you're going around week one and sharing your stories? Like, tell me how you met Jesus. And first dude's been a deacon for 10 years, easy. We're all comfortable right now. Please don't judge me because I'm not deacon material, but it's a deacon, so now I'm freaking out, right? But then the next person all of a sudden speaks up, and they're like, hey, I've never really been in church. This is my first time being in church, and you find out they struggle with addiction to pain medicine, and their kids have been taken away by defects. And then you start hearing your next person's story, and they struggle with same-sex attraction. They're not even sure what they think about Jesus. They're trying to check them out, but they're confessing to you the, a big no-no in churches. And then the next person just shows like, I'm not even sure I believe in God, but I'm giving this thing a shot. Are you uncomfortable in that small group yet? And you're leading it? Listen, church, that is the mission. And it is going to be uncomfortable. And if we're going to step forward in obedience to Jesus, I'm not saying you do it out of guilt, I'm saying out of love for Jesus and love for these people and awe and worship of this good news and this God that would save people, we're going to have to get uncomfortable. I'm, I'm telling you, I know it's uncomfortable. I've experienced the discomfort of it. I'm just, I've, I've tasted it way too much. I mean, I've, I've had those moments around the dinner table where I'm like, Please don't say that word in front of my kids again. I've had those moments in the backyard where the kids are playing together and you realize that the dad that's over there, uh, his partner isn't there. That's the reason him and his partner have broken up and he's watching. His, these aren't really his kids. It's someone else's kids that's addicted to drugs and his partner, he, he, this guy's a homosexual. I don't know what else to say about it. It's, and you keep inviting him back. Like, that's the gospel mission, And if I'm honest, the church is so afraid of being uncomfortable, she would rather disobey the living God than be uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, I'm inviting you in. I'm asking you, church, do you want to join God on his mission? It it might be really uncomfortable. It might not, but it probably will be. I'm telling you, you're going to be uncomfortable. And the only thing that's going to kick you out of that comfort zone is going to be love. I don't believe guilting you into it will work. I don't believe yelling at you and saying, you idiots, that's not going to work. I don't believe that I can do more trainings to get you to love your neighbors more. I can offer training over and over and over again. And if there's not an act of love in your heart, you will never step out and do it. We won't. I believe that's the mission. And if you think that sounds uncomfortable, what I need you to understand is what these Jews were facing in this time period was a million times more uncomfortable than what I just described. Because their families were gonna look down on them, their culture was gonna look down on them, everything about them was going to writhe on the inside. So here's Peter, and he's getting criticized. You went and ate with these people? What's wrong with you? Now, how should Peter respond to this? Like Let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't go, I'm Peter, guys. I'm one of the top three apostles. Who do you think you're talking to? It's not what he does. I I guess he could do that. He says, I'm an apostle. Back off. He doesn't say, do you know what I did last week? I healed 14 people and raised a lady back from the dead. What did you do in your Bible study? Don't question me. He doesn't do that. Here's what he does. I think it's it shows a lot of growth in Peter and a lot of humility. There may be a time for him to express his authority, but what he does in this moment is he just simply tells them what God did and tells them what the word says and then lets that, let the chips fall follow them in. Let me read it to you. We're gonna, we're gonna read the whole, the whole thing here, so stay, stick with me. He says this in verse, I, I turned too quick, verse four. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. It says, I, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of praise and reptiles. Okay, he didn't, he didn't tell us that last week. There's snakes in there, guys. Snakes and lizards. Yuck. And birds of the air. And I heard a voice say to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for, for nothing common or unclean has ever even entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. You remember this from last week? So, listen. God showed up to me and he gave me this illustration. I couldn't figure it out, but he's telling me to eat these animals that I, I don't feel like I can eat. Verse 10, this happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold... At the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. It says, these six brothers also, okay. He grabbed six guys with them so they could see it. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he'd seen the angel stand in his house and say, send a job and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He would declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So here's what God's been doing. And he says this, as I began to speak, look at verse 15, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. I'm speaking, and while I'm still, I didn't even give the invitation, man. The Holy Spirit drops down on these guys. They're speaking in tongues the same exact way it happened to us at the very beginning of this whole thing. And, And look what he does. He points them to the word. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said this, John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should get in God's way? Listen, here's, here's all He does there's no power play, there's no guilt trip. He just said, Listen, here's what God did. And we all saw it. And here's what the Word says. So what are we going to do? And here's how the people respond. I give them credit for this, this is great. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, all right. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now listen, this is awesome. And we're going to look at this later because while they're satisfied now, there is a war that is going to be brewing in this church about how to interact with these people. How clean do they have to be? How nice do they have to be? How Jewish they be? Do they have to be? That war is just getting started. But, but I want you to see what happens. As Peter is doing this, God is moving in other parts of the country among his people. Look at verse 19, because here's the deal. The mission's going to keep going forward, even if the church doesn't. Verse 19, here's what happens. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. Here we go again. Here they're going. They're saying, listen, persecution's gotten rough. Peter's had this movement, but this group of believers who's getting persecuted, they're spreading throughout the whole country and going out of the country, and they're sharing the gospel everywhere they go, but they're only sharing it with Jews. Good, clean Messiah wanting Jews—that's what they're doing. These people want the Messiah. They're good. They're clean. They're comfortable. I know how to share the gospel with them, and they're the only ones that I'm going to share the gospel with. But but look at what happens here. Verse uh, nineteen continues. Our verse twenty says this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, look what they do—they spoke to the Hellenists also. This is to the Greeks. Preaching of the Lord Jesus. Like, I, I love this moment. Because here's what happens. Here's these guys, and they decide to do this experiment. They say, you know what? I think we've heard about Peter. We're heard about that Ethiopian guy and Philip. What if? What if we decided to go and actually take the gospel to non-Jews? You guys want to try it? And like, I, I guess. I need you to think about the risk of this. Their family could reject them. Their church could reject them and say, that's too crazy. Like, and here's the other thing that's difficult. They don't know how to share the gospel with the Greek. Like, if I go to the Jews, I can say, you know all those verses about the Messiah? Guess who they're talking about? Jesus. But you go to a non-Jew, you can't even, like, hey, you know those verses about the Messiah? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's a Messiah? Verses of what? Like, they're idolaters. They worship tons of different gods. They're really immoral. They don't know any rules about pleasing God at all. Where do you even start with that person? And they can't just go and say, has Peter written a book yet or a blog post about how to take the gospel to the Gentiles? Nothing yet? Did Philip write anything? Is there any kind of, there's no training, there's no book. No one has done it and has experience about how to do this. None. And these men say, you know what, let's go for it. I, listen, there's a boldness here that I like and there's a creativity And a chance to risk and fail and come back and learn. I mean, I'm sure it looked like them saying, Listen, I talked to a guy and I tried to start with that Messiah thing and it didn't work. Let's start somewhere else. I'm positive that they were sharing it over and over and over again, trying to figure this out. Like they were determined to take the gospel to these Greeks, no matter how uncomfortable or how much they did not know what they were doing. These men aren't pastors, they're not theologically trained. They're just regular church members who are working their regular jobs and are sharing with people as they live their life in this city. And what happens? I love this. It's not because they're smart. It's not because they had a brilliant plan. It's not because they had a great, great training. It's just simply this, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So, so all of a sudden now, these guys who are just, Not apostles, not pastors, they're just regular guys working their jobs, start sharing the gospel with the Greeks and figuring this thing out, and God starts working and they start getting saved. And now you've got a church in this city called Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. You've got this church where there's this massive movement of non-Jews getting saved. So what happens for the church people? Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Like, we got to check this out. Like, we got to make sure it's not heresy. So they send Barnabas. I don't know if you remember Barnabas, but they send Barney up there to him. And Barney's rolling, saying, let me go check this out. And I like Barnabas, because look what he does. He does this, verse 23. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. And it says this at the end of verse twenty. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So here's Barnabas and he shows up and he checks this thing out and he's like, no, this is the real deal. So he starts teaching them the word over, Stay, stay true to Jesus, stay true to Jesus. And more and more and more and more and more people are getting saved. Like it's an absolute explosion. Like in Antioch, Among non-Jews, the people they never thought could get the gospel. And God is working despite all their weaknesses. None of them are smart. None of them are geniuses. They're regular, average followers of Jesus. And God is doing a phenomenally huge, great work. Church, I want to say something to you. And we're going to see this again here. You, You don't have to be a pastor to be used by God. Because you have the same Holy Spirit and the same gospel that I have. As a matter of fact, here's what I believe. If God's going to reach this city, it's not going to be through me. It's going to be through you. Like you sitting in that seat. You working your job. You living in your neighborhood. You in that t-ball league with your kids. He's going to use you. Way more than he's going to use me standing up behind this pulpit. His plan is you. And when these believers, these regular believers understood that and believed that and actually lived it, God did a mighty work. You. I'm telling you right now, the spirit in you is God's plan to reach this city. It's his plan to reach your school. It's his plan to reach your coworkers. It's his plan to reach your neighborhood. It's his plan to reach the people farthest from God, you. Does that freak you out? I don't want it to freak you out. I want it to stir you. I want it to stir you to a faith that says, there's no reason I should be part of God's plan. I know how dumb I am. I know how sinful I am. Listen, it's never been about that. The question is not how dumb are you. The question is not how smart are you or how theologically trained you are. The question is how strong is God? And I'm telling you, if he's strong enough to use me, he's strong enough to use you. He's he's that strong, I'm, I'm telling you. He is, if he's strong enough to bring Jesus back from the dead, then he can use your weak mouth and your fearful heart and your uncertainty of what to do. He can use you in powerful, shockingly powerful ways to see men, women, and children radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Barnabas sees this movement. He can't keep up with it. He's like, I can't do it. I'm the only pastor here. I can't do this. So he goes on the hunt. He's like, man, I need help. Who should I get? You know what? Peter's really good at this. He did that whole Cornelius thing. Or Philip, oh man, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and he did that whole Samaria revival thing. I need Philip here. That is not who Barney goes after. He's got one guy in mind. One guy that's an outcast and a loser that's got a past that is really filthy. Goes after a guy named Saul. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul, the guy that murdered Christians. Saul, the guy that hated the church. Saul, the arrogant legalist. This is not a guy to reach Greeks. This is a guy that murdered Christians. He should reach people who were persecuting Christians. That's his job. No, he goes after Saul. says he went to go look for him in Tarsus. That word, uh, to look for Saul, in the Greek it means he had to look really, really hard because he was really difficult to find. He goes to Tarsus. He's probably difficult to find because he couldn't just go to, Peter, to Saul's house because Saul had probably been kicked out by his family because he's a follower of Jesus. He has to hunt for Saul all over Tarsus. And when he found him, here's what he does. He brings Saul, the, the guy that killed Christians, the guy that helped kill Stephen, the guy that was trying to wipe out the church and got radically saved, He brings Paul to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Listen, here's what you need to know. Uh, Barnabas goes and gets Saul, who never should have been used by God because he was so broken. This is the last guy that should show up in Antioch. But Barnabas goes and gets him, and God uses him in a mighty way. And let me tell you what happens in Antioch. Antioch is about to become the church. Not Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Antioch, all those outcasts that got saved, those jacked up leaders like Saul who killed Christians, like this church is about to be used to literally spread the gospel throughout the entire known world. It's Antioch. Antioch is the one that's going to send out the first missionaries. Antioch is going to send out people on trips to plant churches in every major city in the Roman Empire. Antioch is gonna become the center of the theological discussion of, do you have to be circumcised to get si- saved? Antioch, a bunch of outcasts and broken people are used by God to become the center of the movement of God in the known world at that time. You know what that tells me? God can use you and me. You got a long history? i tell you about the gospel. The gospel is that God doesn't care about your past, He he came to die on the cross to clean you from that and to make you a new creation so that he could use you to make his name great. Listen, God doesn't care how rich the history of our church is. And we have a rich history. But he can use the church no matter how broken. He can use us to do huge movement for the gospel. Church, here's my question for you. You think God can't use you? Then I want to challenge you. Would you have a little faith in his power? Stop looking at your ability or lack of it and look at his. Man, you, you feel like your heart is hard or you, and you don't want to reach out to your neighbors and your coworkers. Listen, can I just challenge you to repent of that and beg God to give you a heart that loves those who are far from God and gives you boldness and wisdom. Boldness to share the gospel and wisdom to know how to articulate it in a way they can hear it. Listen, do, Do we want to be a church that's willing to work through our discomfort and engage the mission or not? Because church, I'm telling you, I wonder what Saul and Barnabas would have missed if they had decided I'm not gonna engage that mission. If Saul said, listen, Barnabas, I killed Stephen. I murdered him. And you want me to go and help teach a church? And Saul would have sat in Tarsus and would have missed the movement of God in his life. Think about that. So some of you, you're so wrapped up in your past, you're missing the chance for God to use you. You're missing joy and excitement. It may be difficult, but you're missing it. So some of you are wrapped up in fear and you're uncomfortable, and I'm telling you, I believe that you're missing the chance to see God do what only he can do. I think we keep sitting down on our rear ends and saying I'm too afraid or I'm too bad or no one wants to listen to me instead of saying God is so big and so strong he can even use me and I think our hearts are growing cold and bored because we're too wrapped up in being comfortable or wrapped up in our past and the gospel changes that and I think your hearts will be lit on fire by the good news of Jesus I think your neighbors will be in awe of the good news. They may hate you, but some of them might get saved. And God can use you for that church. Do you want to be used by him or not? That, that's the challenge by this. I want to guide us in a moment of response. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? He ask you just to think through a few things. Have you loved your comfort more than people? Man, if that's you, would you repent of that and just say, God, I'll do work in my heart and help me to step out and love people and share the gospel? And maybe for you, the issue is you haven't know, love comfort more than people. You're just so wrapped up in either your busyness or your brokenness, you just think God can't use you or you're too tired to be used. Listen. Would you repent of a lack of a lack of faith that believes God can't use you and would you just ask him to to use you and believe it and step out in it? Maybe for you the thing that God did is when we start talking about having ministry to the people who are sexually broken or to atheists or to agnostics or the people that are the hardest to reach? Listen, maybe God's doing a work in your heart where you feel like he's calling you to that. Let me tell you, my job as a pastor is to help you obey him. My job is to help equip you to do the work that he calls you to. If he's calling you to that, listen, I I can't tell you I know how to do it, but I can tell you I'll come alongside you and I'll pray and we'll fill whatever gas on the fire we need to help you obey him in that. Don't be afraid, be faithful finally, I would ask one thing right there in your seat. Would you pray for God to do a work that we would see the gospel unleashed on the people of Tallahassee, that we would see people far, I mean far, far from God hear his good news and meet him? Would you pray for God to send missionaries out of this place to go to the most unreached, closed countries in the world and take the gospel there? Heavenly Father, um, God, we want to see you work. We we, want to be a part of what you are doing. And so, God, I I pray you would help us to be a people that would be radically in love with you. God, I pray you'd help us to take the gospel to, to places we're afraid to do it. Give us faith and not fear. God, I pray you'd help us to be people that are filled with love for those who are far from you. God, help us be a people that are living on mission with you. I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.